0: I've never been one to shy away from those kind of difficult decisions or conversations that you have to have with people. It's more just the basic interactions you're having with people, the way you show up in meetings, the way you foster conversation and collaboration.
1: Well, like uh, what's the way that you do that to be kind? <laughs> what how, how is it different?
0: Um I think there was just more tolerance for Assholes at Groupon and in the culture there. Like, how so? Like, tell me a story.
1: (sighs) Andrew Mason started a little website called The Point. An investor friend of his gave him a million dollars in seed money. The point failed, but Andrew then used that seed money to pivot his idea into the fastest growing company in history. Groupon hit a $1 billion valuation in only 16 months. For someone with no entrepreneurial experience at all, this was crazy. Yahoo offered to buy the company for $3 billion. Google offered more than $5 billion. Early on, the media wanted to adore him. After the company went public, the media wanted to abhor him. Groupon's current valuation, a modest $400 million. After Groupon, Andrew started a company called Detour. Once again, the idea failed. But once again, he was able to find a great clue for a new company in the company he was already building. Now, Andrew is the CEO of Descript. Descript is like a word processor for audio. If you've ever tried to edit spoken word audio, such as on a podcast, you know how time-consuming and frustrating it can be. Descript makes editing spoken word audio Really as easy as editing a Word doc. So with Descript, not only can you edit spoken word audio by copying, pasting, and deleting text, but you can also edit by typing words. Descript's overdub feature can actually create audio based upon your voice. All you have to do is feed it several hours of training data. If you listen to the episodes here on Love Your Work in December, you heard my Descript overdub voice double fill in for me on the intros. If you're going to love your work, you have to read the signals the market gives you. Sometimes your plan B is a billion-dollar idea. In this conversation, you'll learn, after going from having no experience as an entrepreneur to founding the fastest-growing company ever, how has Andrew approached building his new company differently from how he built Groupon? And Andrew says that at Groupon, there was more tolerance for assholes Now, what has Andrew learned about building a company culture where the mission doesn't get in the way of kindness? And Andrew said that he had a useful naivete about the money that he first raised. So how does he still hold on to this naivete even as a seasoned entrepreneur? Here is Andrew Mason. I'm here with Andrew Mason. And Andrew, my first question is, does the word half-mustache mean anything to you? <laughs> no. Okay, because you might not remember this. The first time that you and I met, you had half a mustache.
0: Oh, God. Did
1: that ring like, a bell?
0: Like a, uh, along which
1: axis? A wrong, along the, I guess if the vertical axis is the Y axis, is that? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, it was... So it was, it was like a
0: left or a right.
1: Yeah. Like it yeah. It was maybe like a, a 60% half mustache. Uh, no, so I, I don't really,
0: remember that at all. Was it was it puberty or was it uh, was it some something else? Do you know?
1: I'll give you a clue. The date was November 14th,
0: 2009. <sighs> that was let's see. I think Groupon had been around for about a year. I don't know, or maybe or we, a couple of months. Maybe Group I've been around. I'm obviously like very bad with with uh, remembering things. <laughs>
1: we we were having a, You were nice enough to come have brunch with myself and some other uh, people who wanted to learn some stuff from you, and and you explained to us that it was Movember, and oh,
0: all oh, right right, okay,
1: <laughs> and
0: and you you said that, that is this are you starting to remember. I remember Movember. I don't remember that my, like Movember is, a, men are challenged to grow a mustache, I think, for charity. And right, yeah. everybody has their own take on a mustache. And I guess mine was a half mustache.
1: Yeah, you said something like you you didn't want people to think that your mustache was serious. And so you shaved it or half of it or 40% of it. Yeah. Which I don't, Still, I'm not sure if the message got across to people, but it was there.
0: Cause it looked so good.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just yeah. kind of like, oh, this is a new style that I need to yeah. get on, I guess. So, w- where were things at, do you think, November 14th, 2009? I think that Groupon was starting to go gangbusters.
0: Yeah. That was, well, so. I was coming to your 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 brunch to talk to you guys was that like in the context of of the point which was very small but there there no. wasn't much of a startup community it was in the context of GroupOn.
1: You were definitely the CEO of GroupOn which was a very successful company and we were very excited to have you okay uh, come have brunch
0: with us. Okay, so yeah, then I guess GroupOn started in it was about a year old and we were maybe a couple hundred employees at that point and we were probably in about three cities and the first group on clones had started to spring up and we were probably you know questioning and what kind of universe can this exist and wrought uh, with angst over that and and just doing everything we could to keep everything from falling apart at the seams
1: right and, and... I guess the, the Groupon, your Groupon story or your experience with Groupon seems like such an interesting juxtaposition because you it started out as the point, right? And so mm-hmm. the point was basically, hey, I want to cancel my cell phone contract and I need to get 100 people to to agree to do it with me so that I can get out of it,
0: kind of, right? right it was a platform for all manners of collective action based around this kind of tipping point mechanism where if you can get a certain number of people to do something whether it's give money or take action then and only then will they will they do that thing once you have enough that it'll actually make a difference somehow
1: and then there was people actually there were people actually making coupons in a way Right, saying, mm-hmm. "Hey, I want to buy this thing. I want it to be. I want to get a discount, but I need to get this many people to in order to to get that discount." So that was happening on the platform
0: already. Yeah, at a relatively small scale. That was, uh, you know, when we would put together our pitch deck with with a bunch of different use cases for this kind of abstracted mechanism platform that's based around this this mechanism. That would be one of them. This group buying case get a bunch of people together. And, and, and we had seen evidence of that in, in China, as people kind of organizing those things organically. So we just thought of that as, as one way to do it. And when we decided to do Groupon was when we just really focused in on that and let's said, let's go out and procure these deals ourselves and not wait for customers to do it. And then and then take the, the Woot model, which was this deal-a-day, really cool deal-a-day platform, that would do like consumer goods and and apply that to the steal a day on a city by city basis,
1: and it was huge. It was it it, it was the fastest growing company
0: in history. Is it still? Or, or I mean, as far as I know, there's yeah. nobody nobody called me in to to give me the dis- disappointing I guess disappointing news that we had been overtaken. But it's possible. I haven't seen anybody else kind of you know proactively bragging about that. Yeah,
1: it was huge. And especially yeah. Yeah, at that time in Chicago, it was like everybody was talking about Groupon. There was this this group buying model, which was so genius. And and then, as you said, there started to become all these copycats, clones that, that, that came around. And I, I guess I wonder about that. What did that feel like to see your idea just be copied in that way?
0: It felt awful. <laughs> <laughs> it, it 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 felt it felt personal and and and, and offensive. I, I I think I I don't I don't know how I would feel about it now. But it, well, because now I, come, I
1: think you probably would think of you would think of a business in terms of defensibility, right? Like having a moat of some sort. I think is what people usually that yeah, that's the usual
0: metaphor, right? Is that it's defensible the idea. Yes. I think at the time I had, you know, previous to that, uh, wanted to be a a musician and, and write songs and stuff like that. And had always been someone who liked to make stuff. And for me, building websites uh, was just a continuation of that urge to, to make stuff. And in, in music, if someone just copies the thing that, that you made, it's, it's there's a word for that. It's called plagiarism. In business, it's called you know just smarter disruption or whatever. But so that that was the way I processed it at the time. I think now, as I've just been deadened and jaded by the, the by life, <laughs> I probably wouldn't think anything of it. I just it just wouldn't occur to me to have feelings about it. Not that mm-hmm. the, yeah. So it's interesting, it wouldn't even occur
1: to you have feelings about it. Is that something that, what as you think of new ideas for businesses, and we'll get to your your business descript, which by the way our listeners have heard my voice double um, fill in for me for much of December. So as you as you work on new businesses, do you think about defensibility differently?
0: There's a lot of technology there. I mean, the the way we built Groupon was taking the core e-commerce engine that we had built as part of the point, plugging it into a WordPress site and and then doing a new post every day and 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 then sending out an email like on via some file maker backend that I built. And it was it was something that we literally built in 30 days. And and so the the, the initial technology of Groupon was incredibly easy to replicate, which is why we ended up at its height with over two thousand clones across the world. So yeah, the there, there's a lot of technology that goes into what we're building at, at at Descript, and and a lot of just incredible attention to detail on a, on a number of different fronts. So Descript, very different. Okay, I, I I pronounce it both ways. So, oh, Okay,
1: I was saying Descript, and now I feel like I should start saying Descript. I'll just no, no. I feel like I should start that. saying
0: Descript. Well, I'm gonna, we're going to be like strangers passing in the night here because I like your way.
1: I don't want to make you feel bad. You don't want to make me feel bad. So yeah. we'll just adopt one another's ways of saying it. Has anybody ever asked you to 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 make a movie of of your life <laughs> and your your story of 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 group of the Groupon thing? I mean, I think it would actually make a pretty interesting movie because, as I understand it, it's this this guy who studied public policy who wasn't an entrepreneur who suddenly found himself as CEO of the fastest growing company of all time and is in this just getting swept up in this entrepreneur hype where everybody wants to interview him and hear his secrets and 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 he's totally not like that and it seems like an interesting juxtaposition um, amongst many other things. Has anybody ever approached you to to make a movie of of that story?
0: The night is young. Ask me, David. I'm waiting for you to ask me.
1: We'll we'll, we'll see. I, I yeah. Okay. I can just write the screenplay here in Columbia, and I'm sure that I can find some contacts in Hollywood to to make that.
0: Yeah, um, no. Luck, luckily, the world at large has a, a lot more sense than you do on on this particular <laughs> issue.
1: You don't think it would make a good movie?
0: I, I don't think so. I think I think it'd be a lot of, you know, sitting around playing video games. If that's, I guess Twitch is popular, so.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, it seems like such a, you strike me as somebody who who isn't particularly motivated by money. You know, you started The Point. It was a very, very much like a social, good enterprise. And then it ended up being a coupon site. The, the company was worth multiple billions of dollars. And I imagine that what happens when you find yourself CEO of such a company is that you're not trying to make as much money as possible, but then various people who, for whom that is their value start surrounding you. I would just imagine that suddenly you'd be surrounded by people who want get to get in on some kind of an acquisition deal or... Or mm-hmm. you know they want to take something off of the top of this, and and get their piece of the pie, and and then they're in your space. They're trying to get close to you, trying to persuade you
0: in certain ways. Is or it, 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 is that how it works? Sure. I mean the the story that comes to mind is when Groupon became was. Kind of a peak rocket ship mode in the first couple of years, we we noticed ourselves coming up in a in a in a Google ad like a search ad that would be like has have you been unsatisfied with a, a Groupon deal that you got click here, and it was this it was this application for joining a class action lawsuit. Of people who weren't happy with their Groupon experience, and we looked at this this company that was doing it, or this law firm, and they were just—they basically had like you know forty or fifty of these different fish in the water for different, different ideas of or speculations of how they could build classes for of 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 customers for around different grievances, and you know we had this what we thought at the time was an incredibly Gracious and liberal refund policy, where you could get a hundred percent refund at any time, no questions asked. And they ended up finding a way to do a lawsuit that, uh, because we didn't have an expiration date, I, I'm I'm trying I'm kind of fuzzy on some of the details. The end result of it was was us needing to put an expiration date on on the on the vouchers on the group on vouchers and it was just this very clearly like mechanism for this law firm to just find a way to graft some money off of off of these companies as they're growing didn't really end in a better experience or result for for customers in any way in fact it was worse and th- there was something quite disheartening about about that experience but that's That's just part of it
1: and that, that's kind of like the main one. I mean, I remember you telling a story about going to dinner when p- potentially being uh acquired by yahoo and and saying, well, you know I, I had been a vegetarian all my life, and I decided, well, if I'm gonna be a part of this deal, I'm just gonna go ahead and order the steak and <laughs> there was like a principle that you it, felt like you had abandoned in being a part of that.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You just get, you just get beaten down.
1: So, I mean, what was this journey like? Because it's such an interesting juxtaposition that there's, there's the point, It was the social good thing. The, the, the investors, I think the story went that the point wasn't working out. You had gotten a million dollars and they were kind of saying, let's go ahead and you know you, you will you either make some kind of change or give the money back to the investors, and so you scramble to make a change, and that's how groupon happens is that
0: that's what right. happened yeah mm-hmm. yeah
1: and was that a when it ended up becoming a coupon site and when you realized that was happening, was that difficult for you to process in terms of any of your principles or ideals that you had?
0: Not really, because we, we did it in a way that was fun for us, so, on all fronts. So, I mean, we, we weren't just like, you know, derisively referring to it as a coupon site at the time. The, the original idea for what the point was and the way in which we saw the world being different because of its existence was, was grandiose and, and noble of spirit and, and perhaps socially more meaningful. But it's not where we ended up with Groupon was 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 not the opposite of that. It was more just along a different dimension, a dimension that's closer to entertainment. So first of all, like we did it in a way where we said, if we're gonna do this, let's let's make it fun, let's let's do really write ups that we think are are surprising and and don't just feel like pure advertising. And let's go out and really try to get deals from cool, unusual businesses where we can use this discount as a catalyst to get people to go out in the world and have an experience that they wouldn't have otherwise had that makes their life richer somehow. So that's really how it was in the early days. It was like we, we felt good about the impact we were having both for these businesses that love the service and and the customers that were that were using the Groupon's that also loved it, and 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 the combination of that with just the thrill of being part of something that's growing like crazy and all of your friends are are using it was was really satisfying.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, speaking of making things that are advertising seem like more fun, um. <laughs> uh, have you ever... I mean, you've probably hired a lot of people in your life. How many people do you think you have given jobs to?
0: Well, Groupon, I think, had you know, 13, 14, 15,000 people at, at some point. Wow. And then we've got another 20 or so here. So
1: and is 13, it 13,020.
0: Is hiring difficult? Is it hard to find the best talent? You know, th- there was a time when it was really just a, a needle in a haystack. But have you ever heard of LinkedIn Jobs?
1: You know, it's interesting that you bring up LinkedIn Jobs because they happen to be our sponsor. I was going to tell you about oh. them, actually. That's what this was all about. Because the hard thing about finding talent is, is if somebody doesn't have a job, you don't want to hire them. Right? Because That's right. they don't have a job. There's probably a good reason they don't have a job and it's the ones who do have jobs that you want to hire but you can't find them because why?
0: Because they have a job. Cuz they, they have they a, job. a job.
1: And yeah. and because they have a job what?
0: They're not looking for a job.
1: They're not looking for a job. Right? Right. So that's what I was going to point out.
0: Yeah, I mean and and by the way if 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 I told you that there was a job site that was built on top of the world's largest professional network, Like, wouldn't you want to use that job site? Isn't that just a total no-brainer? I would definitely want to use it because the the professionals
1: who are on that platform, i.e. LinkedIn, are professionals who are trying to level up their career all the time. And you know people are on LinkedIn, you know it's a fun social network, people are spending time on there, communicating. And you can reach them with LinkedIn Jobs, even though they're not looking for a job. You can find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com loveyourwork. Again, that's linkedin.com loveyourwork to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Can I pay... $50 and get that off? It says you can pay what you want. I think what that means is that you can get as many impressions as you want on the LinkedIn jobs, advertising networks. So as people are on LinkedIn, you know, networking, building their careers, then you can uh, just have your job posting show up to the most qualified candidates. I mean, this thing is is a machine. A person is hired every eight seconds with LinkedIn. Did you know that?
0: That's impressive.
1: Every eight seconds. So as we've talked about this, that means there's been like 10, 20 people hired with LinkedIn, LinkedIn jobs. So I think that there's an interesting parallel between what you've done with Groupon and what you've done with Descript that I'd like to explore. And that's this idea that you had the point and people were using the point for this other thing. It probably wasn't really obvious right off the bat that that was going to be this giant thing. It probably wasn't this light bulb moment, like, "Oh, people are making coupons on here, basically, or they're doing group buying." That's that's probably a multi-billion-dollar idea. But you were able to see it, and you were able to change course and follow that, and it ended up being huge. And then script. Is also a byproduct of a previous product. So, was it just that you had that neural pathway wired so well from your experience with Groupon of let's look out for these little clues and and change course? How did you know? And it seems like you're you're an expert uh, pivoter or something. <laughs> The, the, the first time it took... I want to keep going, talking about LinkedIn jobs, you
0: can, by the way. Sorry, <laughs> It'll be hard to resist, but I'll try. The, the, with the first pivot from the point to Groupon, it, it, it took being put in relatively extreme circumstances to even consider it. I was so fixated on the original vision of the company that it wasn't until our backs were against the wall and we had to find a a, a way out, a way to, a way to survive and keep going. That that we scrambled and and started considering other options. And even as uh, and even at the beginning, you know, Groupon was a kind of there was a team of seven at the company, and only a few of us were, were working on Groupon while other people were kind of still focused on trying to. Keep, figure out how to keep the point going because that's where the, that's where the excitement for the, was from the people who were part of the, the company at the time. It was different with and, and, and honestly it was only the overwhelming customer success that we had really straight out of the gate with, with Groupon. Like it happened very quickly. It was obvious that some that something was there.
1: But you took um, the you took the month or so to build the product and try it, yeah, and that was just you were saying that that was just because your back was so far against was so against the wall because mm-hmm. the idea wasn't working. So I don't know, I just think yeah. it's interesting that that you had the you and the team had the um, wherewithal to try that idea. Were there other yeah. ideas that you' tried, or were there other ideas that? You thought there about trying
0: to try? Yeah, there was like a there was like a Kickstarter kind of approach that we were thinking about too, where it was it was more like raising money for either causes or initiatives that people wanted to start. But this time, with with going from Detour to Descript, we kind of saw when we started working on Descript that it had the potential to be a separate product and even a separate business one day, and and we had a separate team of people working on it and and from from very very early on we were treating it like something that was a kind of a plan b and once we got a prototype out there and started sharing it with customers it quickly transitioned to being the the plan a so we were kind of that that time it was i w- i would say it was a more it it was less emotionally <laughs> stressful. It was more like we, we were open to the possibility of that outcome and, and planning with that in mind.
1: Tell me more about emotionally stressful.
0: Well, when you, you know how it is, like when you, when you have an idea for something, it just consumes you and you can't imagine how it's not going to work. It's so obvious that you can see exactly how the future plays out and everybody in the world is, is using this thing somehow. And then there's a, a slow painful process of coming to terms with, with the fact that that's never going to happen. And, and you hold that a little bit looser after you've been through it once or twice, I guess. And you, you, you realize that part of starting a company is, especially in the early days, you know, the magic of, of looking at what you have and what you've built and looking at what customers are telling you and connecting the dots and finding something that is actually useful out of that.
1: So when you were in this position with the point where your back was against the wall, was there a part of you that was thinking, well, you know, this idea is just not going to work. Why even try these other ideas?
0: No, because I felt so obligated to my investors and, and my employees that I just couldn't imagine giving up.
1: I mean, this was your first time with, that you even knew that this was such a thing that somebody could give you a million dollars to start a company and, right. and, and you immediately
0: fe- felt that, that sense of obligation pretty early on. Oh yeah, I mean that just seemed like such an enormous amount of money, and then at this point, actually, we had raised some more money for from NEA, and you know what I know now from from knowing venture capitalists, and is that that's part of the game, and it's really like the 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 expectation is that some of these things aren't going to work out, but for me, it 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 was such a inconceivable show of trust that they would that they would. That they would give me this opportunity that I, I felt a real sense of obligation. And honestly, I, I still feel that with my investors. When I was doing Detour at first, I, I was just funding it myself because why not? And I thought it would be nice for a while to live without, without having any investors or VCs. And in many ways, I, I missed it. And, and so I went to the best investors that I worked with at, 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 uh, group on and was lucky enough to be able to get them to invest in in Descript. And I, I like having that sense of obligation and not just have it being the, the end of the chain, but being in service to someone else.
1: So are you saying that there, there, I mean, maybe there was something a little bit naive about the amount of obligation you felt early on, because part of the, invest, the venture capital game is that we're throwing spaghetti, spaghetti against the wall. Some of it sticks, some of it doesn't. And that wasn't something that you quite understood at the
0: time. Yes, but I think it's a useful naivete that I still yeah. try to. I still hold on to. Like it's it's not rationally correct, but I, I suppose, but I find I find it for me anyway to be productive to have that to have that force.
1: So I really enjoy Descript. As I said, my listeners have heard my voice double, who filled in for me for the month of December on a lot of the intros which is pretty cool. For I I guess it's a it's a word processor for audio. Right? And I find it useful. The, the thing that I find useful about it is it helps me find those little tidbits in a conversation that I can pull out and and use for social media clips or I can use them for quotes and and such like that. And before it's like prohibitively expensive because transcribing is very difficult. So how did you
0: arrive from Detour to Descript? So half of Detour was building this mobile app for immersive augmented reality audio tours. And the other half was producing the content. And the idea was that eventually that would be a platform where anyone would be able to produce stuff. But early on, we were going to eat our own dog food make stuff ourselves. So we hired a team of, of radio producers and podcasters and got to see their workflow firsthand for creating these long form audio stories, you know, between 20 and 60 minutes or even more. And the 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 tool set that they had and the the learning curve and and speed of these tools made it clear that there was no way we were going to be able to make this a broadly accessible platform. It's just too specialized. And this was at about the same time that transcription was getting cheap and accurate. So we had a, a very obvious idea to build a audio editor that looked and felt like a you're using a word processor, thinking that words are a better abstraction of audio than a waveform on a timeline. And and so we found somebody who was getting his PhD at uh, UC Berkeley in this idea and we built a prototype and started showing it to customers and you know as we kind of worked through all of the different challenges of grafting the interaction interactions around audio editing from a timeline to a to a document and and they all seemed to hold quite nicely and we could build something intuitive we just we just got really confident that there was a product and a and a business there especially watching the explosion of podcasts largely populated by people who don't have a traditional audio engineering background and and would prefer to not have to learn how to use complicated audio editing tools so that's how we ended up there
1: so you build this tool to help you with your own audio editing, own audio storytelling. Is that, is that accurate? That's right. Yeah. You know, As you're building the tool, are you thinking this could be a business? Or what, where was the point where you got some signal that this might be the thing?
0: We were because it was so indulgent to be building the second product inside a company that still didn't have product market fit on the first <laughs> product, that the only way to rationalize it was to imagine it as a, as a as another business.
1: I mean, was it hard to justify making that
0: investment or expense in this side project? Did it feel like a distraction? It was okay. You know, I don't, I don't think I could have done it if, if it was my first startup and I didn't know how to do anything, but we had a really strong team that was working on Descript that could that could get stuff going and and it, it never felt like it inhibited our ability to be successful at, at Detour. And it, it just gave us this, it's not a strategy I'd necessarily you know recommend that you start building your contingency plan inside your startup before your first startup's even working. But in this case, it, it worked out really well for us. At that point, was it was it still your money? It was until we yes, it was, and then we spun it out when we, and raised money from Andreessen and Horowitz, and at the, at that point, we we sold off Detour to Bose, and we're completely focused on Descript.
1: And and so, uh, would you think that would have worked differently if you had had investors? Would you have been able
0: had the freedom to go build this other product? I think if. Like the investors I have now, if I told them I was doing that, they would have, I have great investors and I think their, their bias is to trust the entrepreneurs that they are working with, you know, maybe share some pattern recognition or, or experiences that they've had that could be, that could be relevant, that might serve as kind of cautionary tales. But honestly, I think I might've felt too embarrassed (laughs) by (laughs) to to Mm. pursue something like that because it is so unconventional.
1: Right. I mean, this is part of maybe the value of having your own skin in the game instead of somebody else's skin in the game is that you can take those those kinds of risks. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you think about or or were thinking about as you decided that you were going to self-fund, that you wanted to be able to make a decision that you didn't have to justify justify. Yeah. You didn't have to feel like you, if you made a mistake that like, Oh geez, sorry, I wasted your money. It
0: it was in particular with detour. There was a, there was an element of, of quality in the content that we wanted to produce that I, I really didn't feel like having conversations about with anyone. Mm -hmm. I just, I just wanted to do it the way I wanted to do it. And, and what, gave me confidence to raise money with descript is we had product market fit when we raised money like I knew there was a there there I didn't feel like I was messing around with anybody's money. I felt really comfortable asking them to take that bet and there wasn't there wasn't any huge crazy unconventional risky part of that
1: what would you say were Maybe the main after the entire Groupon experience, growing a multi-billion-dollar company, going public, uh, getting, you know, I guess caught up in, or, or the media using you as a, a punching bag here and there. If, if that sounds accurate to you, what are some of the main ways that you approached building your next company differently because of those experiences?
0: Most of the things are just the small micro adjustments that come with experience when you know i i didn't know anything about management or anything like that when i get started and and you learn from the people around you many of which don't know don't know much about management either and and it wasn't really until i started hiring a a senior team of executives that they started teaching me a lot of a lot about how to be Affected at, at those aspects of, of my job, I think there are things in how we how we build the culture. Now, I think just being really there, there we cared a lot about culture at Groupon too, um, but we cared about things like having a great customer experience and doing right by the customer. Internally, I think you know I've come to really value kindness. you know I think I used to think that kindness was somehow in opposition to being direct or having an open conversation or culture that um, encourages active debate of ideas. but how does that manifest itself this value of, of kindness? just be, always just being nice to people. <laughs>
1: Well, that's interesting. So, w- 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 I mean, what
0: does and, that mean? Well, I think it. I think it just wasn't as much a concern at 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 Groupon. Like there was uh, me uh, and other you know executives that we'd hired could just like brutalize someone in a in a meeting or 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 something like that, and you know, in w- with a real just indifference to. To treating to to, to to the to the humanity of of the interactions that you're having, and th- that's the kind of thing that I've just come to believe is completely unnecessary and counterproductive to getting the best out of a team and and caring about the people and 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 and, and just like enjoying your work experience.
1: I mean, do not find yourself in in places as you're managing a company and dealing with with money and hiring and and laying off people etc you know you have to have difficult conversations that are going to hurt people's feelings sometimes and how do you parse the difference between this is a thing that I have to do I'm being as nice as I can about it that person's feelings are hurt and that's just the way it is uh, or whatever alternative that might be
0: yeah, I. I it, it's not that hard. It's I, I don't think. I mean, it, I don't. I've never been one to shy away from those kind of difficult decisions or or conversations that you have to have with people. When you have to have them, you have to have them. It's it's more just the 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 basic interactions you're having with people, the way you show up in in meetings, the way you foster conversation and collaboration.
1: Well, like, what's the um, way that you do that to be kind? <laughs> what how how is it different
0: um I think there was just more more tolerance for for assholes in at at groupon and in the in the culture there
1: like how so like tell me a story
0: <laughs> I'm thinking of a story of that I was not there for this but i heard i heard a story about somebody who Right, an office where they were not giving the sales new salespeople chairs until they closed a certain quota, first quota of deals. They had to stand, so which something is, like that.
1: Which is like uh, a good thing now, right? You know, the standing da- desk craze. Like,
0: <laughs> I don't. Th- yeah, it, it was before its time.
1: Wow. So, okay. You can't, you, you, you get a chair as your bonus for closing five deals or something. Yeah. You get a basic chair to sit in. Okay. Wow. That's interesting. How did that happen?
0: Um, it was just this kind of single focus on performance and, and And that being the the main thing that everybody was 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 thinking about, and some other basic kind of values fell to the background.
1: Right. And so now you value kindness and and building the script.
0: Yeah, I think another way to lo- to look at it is I just care. I think when uh, when you're younger or when I was younger, I cared more just purely about the mission and like almost singularly focused on the mission and, and success of the company. Now I care a lot more about w- what it's like to work with people and and the interactions that I have moment to moment with the people that I'm working with and and my colleagues are having and making sure that those are as positive as they can be. Because I think, you know, you just get older and life is short and and... And we spend so much time at work and soon, you know, everything is, climate change is going to destroy everything anyway. So what's it all for if to not have meaningful connections with people from moment to moment? So you, it sounded like before
1: kind of the mission of the company made it difficult to, to, to do that. But then the company became publicly traded. It
0: wasn't your even experience? that they were, it's not that they were at odds or anything like that. It was yeah, just that Arthur there was a, an, an indifference to that, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you have investment again for this company. I assume that means that there's some possibility that it'll become a public company at some point. Is that not something that you feel is at odds with being able to make decisions based upon your values?
0: Not necessarily. It's all about how you pull it off. And there's plenty of existence proof of, of companies that have, have done this, this stuff well. Wh- who are your
1: the companies that you look to for that?
0: I was just saying that hoping that you would not ask that question. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm sure there are.
1: <sighs> LinkedIn jobs. <laughs> well, Andrew, I really appreciate you making the time to talk. To me, especially about Groupon again, which I'm sure that you talk about all the time, I really do enjoy Descript. I, I love Descript. It's wonderful. It's one of these things that, as soon as you use it, you're like, where the, where has this been my whole life?
0: <laughs> Thank you.
1: So I'm it's glad wonderful. You like it. Thanks for making it. Thanks for taking the time, and uh, and and thanks for helping me with the LinkedIn jobs
0: ad. It's a great service. It needs no help. And where would you like for people to go? I think it's uh, linkedin.com slash jobs. Well, how
1: about that? Sorry, to get more, more of a view and Descript and Descript.
0: Oh, uh, Descript.com. D-E-S-C-R-I-P-T.com. Descript.com. All right. Thank you.
1: I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Andrew Mason of Descripts. If you produce a podcast, I highly recommend it. Thank you for mentioning my work on social media. On Twitter, thank you to Diana Barrantes, Jorge Castro, Podcast Alley, and Jeff Nardick. And on Instagram, thank you to Freaky Howl, Imperial Purple, Daisy Man, and Paige Artie. Now the top update came from Jeff Nardik, And Jeff says, I can honestly say that at Kadavy's Love Your Work is in my top five podcasts everyone needs to listen to. David Kadavy is a great interviewer and has amazing guests. Thank you so much for that, Jeff. At the core of being able to love your work is one question, where does the money come from? Does the work you do make humanity better? Do the products you use help you grow as a person? That's why supporting Love Your Work on Patreon is good for all of us. I can focus on making a great show so you can become a better human. It's an honest exchange, value for value. This show costs hundreds of dollars a month to produce and bring to your ears. I invest my time and creative energy in making it, so I can't keep this show going without your support. Please support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Think of it like a coffee meeting. Is this show worth buying me a coffee a month? Head to patreon.com slash to join. You'll get perks such as early access to ad-free content, masterclasses, or office hours directly with me. That's patreon.com slash Or, overcast users, just tap on the dollar sign. Love Your Work is brought to you in part by our top Patreon supporters, such as Jeffrey Mason. The theme music for Love Your Work is at sea by Dorena from the album About Everything and More, by arrangement with Deep Elm Records at deepelm.com. Love Your Work is a production of Kadavy, Inc.,